listening to Spitball with Adri Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to the week 11 edition of Spitball. I'm your host Adri Ballhawk Mallows. With me this week is my usual co-host Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Very good. Excellent. How's your week been, sir? Very, very busy. Um, hectic assessment time over here. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, busy time at uni. So we'll try not to keep up too much of your time then today, or take <laughs> up too much of your time, rather. Um, so another great week of NFL action is behind us. So let's start things off by discussing Monday night football between New England Patriots and Carolina Panthers. Another Patriots game ended with them feeling robbed by a bad call by the officials, but realistically, now I've seen the replay of it, I don't really think there's any chance that Gronk was ever going to get there. That ball was always going to be intercepted before it went anywhere near him. So, what are they grumbling about, Marcus? I think they're just being Patriots, to be fair, and just whinging that they're, they're not winning. Okay, that's fair enough. But uh, So, for the game, <laughs> it's <laughs> the Patriots, they do love a good whinge, don't they, to be fair? And um, that's why some people love them. It's certainly why I hate them. I respect them, but, you know, I still hate them at the same time. We had a few little uh, bits of chippiness throughout the game. Did you see uh, Steve Smith and uh, Aqib Tlaib having a go at each other? Yeah, but I, I feel that that's coming down to somewhat of a... Both guys, I mean, we've seen uh, Steve Smith in, in more than a fair few fights over the years. Um, he's literally, he's just got a, a mouth on him. And the second anything's said, we've been on the field and stuff like that. And you do get some people who are will naturally just find the... Um, find the nerve and just tug on it and I think that's what Tlaib did Ah right yeah fair enough well it looked like Smith got the better of the exchanges anyway with uh, Tlaib having to be taken out for a few plays by Belichick just to make sure he didn't give away any pointless penalties but apart from uh, Steve Smith on offence you had a an okay game not a great game still um, going on my fantasy points had some good catches but Carolina defence yet again stepping up and showing us what they're made of Oh absolutely I think it's the defence that's really sort of um, solidified the team in principle of um, success this year it's the the upstep of the, the, the defence last year you know uh, we saw what Cam could do great run I don't know if you've seen the run where he eludes four of the New England defenders uh, and makes the first down I think that's the one uh, where they said in total he probably ran about 72 yards but he probably only gained about 12 or 15 in essence something crazy like that <laughs> but literally it, it's that extra play factor that he gives we know he's got that we know he's got people to throw to now we know he's got the ground game himself and along with he's got some great backs Williams but what we needed to see was this improvement of the Carolina defense it was great that last year they could score 30 points but the problem was teams were scoring 30 along with them this year they managed to to stem the blood flow so now these close games they can hold England to, to 20 points and then when they're scoring 24 it's enough to win yeah absolutely and um just want to say, so So the loss won't dent the Patriots' playoff hopes, but do we think the win will sneak the Panthers into the playoffs? Yes, I, I think it definitely does. I mean, uh, as far as shoring up where they, they stand, unless there's a some kind of mon- monumental shift later down the line, I can't see New Orleans giving up the, the crown, as it was, for the NFC South. Though they are only one game behind, so... No, but I was thinking no. more, of a, more of a wild card, because... Seattle and San Francisco have kind of got the two of the places locked down so one of them will get the wild card between them 
but then there's still that extra wildcard place, which you'd have to say that Carolina are probably looking in the best form to take, wouldn't you? At the moment, I mean, with the win, Carolina's last week win over San Francisco, and San Francisco having a pretty doozy of a... You know, they've lost two in a row now, so they've gone from, like, 6-2 and two to 6-4. and four. So, at this rate, if they keep going the way they are, they, you know, I, I could see San Francisco losing out a wildcard completely to the likes of someone like Chicago or Detroit, because that, that NFC North looks really strong. Yeah, Detroit and Chicago back on the same records with Green Bay just a game behind. Yeah, I think it's going to be harder for Green Bay to, to come back into it without... We don't like saying that, you know, one man makes a team, but what a difference without Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I know they're missing some other people as well. The, the likes of Cobb has really hurt them, but yeah, it's, it's scary how much that that NFC North has been blown open. That's it. Well, we'll move away from that because I know we've talked about that quite a lot recently. So we're going to share the love like we always like to on this show. And how about we share some love for the two teams from Ohio in the Cleveland Browns and Cincinnati Bengals. What did you make of this one? Oh, I love the battle for Ohio. It's one of my favourite. The sort of divisional rivalry games, I think it's one of the best. And it didn't really disappoint, really. I mean, it came out sort of all guns blazing and, you know, defensive touchdowns sort of a Ryan. For a minute that, I was really sort of looking to see that, you know, Cleveland might cause an upset. I honestly thought that was on the cards. I mean, I, I did call it. And I, um, for a minute that, I thought it was going to say four, four weeks in a row. Yeah, it was very nearly with that, with uh, with Hayden starting off with his two picks as well. Um, but I just don't think anyone saw the Bengals getting 31 points in the second quarter like they did, so setting a new franchise record for most points they've scored in the second quarter. That is just great work there. Firstly, by the players, knowing what they have to do and executing, but also that is the coaches winning the chess battle here and readjusting, playing their game plan ahead of their opponent. So that way they're constantly forcing the Cleveland Browns to react and they just didn't react quick enough. Not just that, but there were some massive plays on special teams because didn't the Bengals block at least two of the Browns' punts? I, I think, to be fair, the, the Cincinnati, both defence and special teams, really, I think, put most of the effort in. I mean, Dalton had a good day, but again, he's looking still a little bit shaky. So I'm still in trepidation for what Cincinnati can do holding through to the to the playoffs. I mean, that's the... That's the thing we've seen the last couple of years is like they, they seem to get through the, the regular season great, but playoff comes and you only get one chance to win that game. It's not like you know regular season where you've got 16 chances to get in. Well, as you say, so do we think the Bengals are going to win the AFC North then? Yes, I do. I think because with their 7-4 record, I think you've got the likes of though Pittsburgh, great win for them against Detroit in some, some very difficult conditions up in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Well, that's um, it. I think the wind was blowing all the way through that area, wasn't it? Obviously, it was uh, majorly bad in the Midwest, and we hope anyone affected by it um, is able to get back on their feet as soon as possible, and um, and may they rest in peace those that sadly lost their lives in the tornado. Yeah, I mean, this, it was it was one of those weird sort of um, freaky Sundays where literally the the heavens opened and the winds just blew. We were lucky, really, that it was only the Chicago game that got delayed and affected catastrophically by the uh, weather. Uh, most managed to play through it. Well, that's it. And if you want to see some pictures of what the Bear Stadium looked like, what Soldier Field looked like when it was being attacked by the winds and, and rain, go over to the, the blog over at uh, bullhawksnest.weebly.com. Check out the lowdown and, and see the pictures we've uh, been able to find online from the stadium on Sunday it was ridiculously dark for that time of the day it was like one o'clock in the afternoon and it looked like it was an evening game it was just 
absolutely incredible that and get delayed for nearly two hours i believe it was oh yeah i think it's because they had to give another um half an hour safety zone after the storm had passed and it was bizarre when you suddenly saw the pictures of when the storm hit and then as the players came back out to warm up and they are doing their warm-up drills in sunshine it was uh, it was bizarre it was so bizarre yeah absolutely but let's um go back then if we can so going back to the afc north I just want to yeah. talk a bit more about the comeback the Steelers are making because that's four games they've won now. Is that right? Four and six. You've got Cincinnati at seven and four and everyone else four and six. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be uh, quite a toy division. It's a shame that people like Pittsburgh are only sort of getting clued up now. We were talking about this at the beginning of the year, how we thought Baltimore might struggle and might end up eking under 500 this year. Yeah, um, and that's a big possibility as well, isn't it? It's a very big possibility with the, the, the schedule still to come. Tight games like that one against Chicago going into overtime were, were games they kind of need to win to try and dig something out because, to be fair, the way that AFC is going, uh, you've got quite a, a set uh, wild card in Kansas, I think, to come out of the West. Uh, Denver to win, Kansas to take that first wild card. But I think, really... When you look at everyone else is sort of stuck between five and five and, and and four and six, there's a lot of teams that could potentially still go and grab that second wild card. And I think teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh, even Cleveland to a degree, um, up in that sort of north division, you guys they've got to try and make it now. And to be fair, Pittsburgh are the team they've won two in a row. I think they're the hot team at the moment. Well, there is one team that's uh, I hate to use this phrase, but it's slightly hotter, obviously as it includes Eli Manning. Uh, that would be the New York Giants who have gone four games in a row now um, obviously either side of their bye week as well but four games without a loss for the Giants putting them at four and six as well what, how have they turned that around? 0-6 to 4-6 and six. wow what happened in that uh, that bye week I, I really want to know well, they started winning before the bye week, didn't they? But I just mean that the four wins have come include like over the space of the bye week as well. So, four out of the last five weeks, they've won a game, so to speak. It's been a crazy sort of change around, and it's difficult to sort of try and have a look at what they've sort of done, really. Because if you think about it, I mean, they took on Green Bay, and though it's a weakened Green Bay team, doesn't make a difference to the the defense. Green Bay defense did not turn up. No, but uh, defensively, Green Bay have also got some issues as well. I think, well, I know Sam Shields was out, so it left a couple of the backup corners to be playing. So the Giants aren't really a team you want to be playing if you're a bit weak in the secondary with the deep threat of Cruz. Oh, no, no, absolutely. But you look at the sort of teams that they've won their four games. It's the likes of Oakland where, again, the deep ball could be a threat because, you know, Oakland are just they're just terrible towards the deep threat. I mean, we saw that this week is that Houston nearly managed to reap the benefits in a way of coming back, but, you know, not quite being able to get there. The likes of Philadelphia, who have got trouble defending deep balls as well. Chip Kelly's defense is definitely built to take risks, blitz you hard, and, like, every once in a while, you are going to beat them on the deep threat, unfortunately, because they have a tendency to go over-aggressive. And, of course, um, Minnesota, who, again, just, haven't seemed to have got their season running either. No, that's true. Well, um, let's move on now away from uh, Minnesota as well. How about that New Orleans and San Francisco game? Now, we mentioned San Fran have obviously um, had two losses in a row now. So, mm-hmm. your friend Drew Brees, who shouldn't be the impact player of the week, 
if you're going to give it to him for his consistent performance over the season. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> he did have over 300 yards again this week. And not yeah, to no, mention he... there was a massive drop by Frank Gore. Yeah, oh my word. I couldn't believe that one. For me, the real controversy came with the calling of the penalties. I don't know if you saw the contact penalties of the, of the quarterback. There was one sack came up, just clipped around the back of the helmet, flag, he touched his helmet. We got a, you know, sorry, can't have that. No, if that's... One. Kaepernick took one uh, later in the game. Literally, the guy's wrapping him around almost as sort of a headlock and not called. And it was kind of startling when they are getting so predominantly safety cautious that you can have two different degrees of the same, effectively the same penalty in one game. Yeah, see, they both obviously should have been called that. That's a given. But the one on Breeze, I mean, that was a definite penalty. I mean, he's he's practically, well, he has clotheslined him and rammed the helmet up into Breeze's face because you can see afterwards when Breeze is sort of on the sideline you can see that he's, bu- he's got a bust lip from the tackle so if it was a fair tackle then he shouldn't have a bust lip over it definitely I mean that's the idea that's why these rules are implemented the the safety I mean it's so easy for you just to you not think about it but coming through hitting the head I mean so easy it is to just put so much force I don't think that's what the idea is the, the science behind it the force that goes through and it ends up just once it hits the head there's nowhere else for it to really go if the force is going up that's the top of the body so therefore all the force just gets absorbed in the head so I, just, I was just so astounded that that one so blatant earlier and then the one has it's literally got hold of Kaepernick's head and just pulling it down this time I guess I don't know if it was because it was being pulled down and he was going to the ground it made it difficult oh, I don't know I was just a bit shocked that it's almost like a ref giving a penalty in soccer and then the same sort of foul has occurred by the other team down the other penalty area and not given consistency yeah it's very true and you wonder whether maybe that's to do with the fact that Breeze is a pocket passer and Kaepernick's used to being uh, running around behind the line of scrimmage so maybe they've just thought it's a fair attempt to try and tackle him because they've not as you say they've not seen the, the full extent of the tackle where he's practically got him in a headlock so um, let's leave those there because I know obviously there's always going to be bad calls and stuff like that around the league so we could talk for hours about officiating and how it really sort of winds us up but are there any other games you want to cover before we move on? One game that I really want to cover is the, the Tampa Bay taking on Atlanta absolutely blowing out Atlanta I could not believe that oh yeah no, they I just thought, destroyed them now, now I thought Tampa would win but not that effectively I would, never would have thought that effectively it was as far as an all round Atlanta performance it was absolutely dire it was terrible to watch just even the highlights it's just I'm so glad I'm not a Falcons fan I just had to yeah. uh, hang my head there it was terrible definitely dear Falcons we'll see you again next year Love the rest of the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty pretty much. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so uh, we'll move on from there. You are listening to Spitball. We return this week to our Football 101 segment. And so... Welcome to Football 101 with Professor Ball and his teaching assistant, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. <laughs> I love that one. Every time it gets me. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Likewise. This week, our first term is an onside kick, something we've talked about a few times during the podcast this year, so felt only right to give it the airtime it deserves, as it is one of the uh, fundamental parts of the game. So, what I'm going to do this week as a change-up, because I feel guilty about getting Marcus to do it all the time, you're actually going to get a lesson from Professor Bullhawk. 
So, an onside kick is an attempt by the kicking team to recover their own kickoff. Teams will generally try to do this when they are trading late in a game and have just scored. It can also be used as a surprise tactic like we saw in the Super Bowl a few years ago when New Orleans Saints kicked off the second half by using what they knew as Operation Ambush. So they came out and kicked an onside kick at the start of the second half to try and gain an extra possession over the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Luckily for them, it did work. Now, as with everything in the NFL, there are a few rules around the onside kick. The first being that the kick must travel at least 10 yards before the kicking team can touch and recover the ball. This is, of course, unless a member of the opposition touches it first, whether it be a ricochet off the knee or off a hand, anything like that. Failure to abide by this rule, i.e. if the ball is touched before it's gone 10 yards, then the kicking team loses possession of the ball and their opponents start the drive from where the ball was touched. Do you have anything to add to that? Pretty complete. Good, good. Whilst we stick with the kicking theme this week, I also wanted to talk about the punt. So, a punt is a drop kick made from hand, usually by designated kicker or punter. This drop kick or punt is allowed to go straight out of bounds, unlike a normal kickoff, which must remain within the sidelines. This is usually done on fourth down when the coach thinks there is far too far to go to obtain the first down or if they are outside of field goal range. Marcus, again, anything you want to throw in the mix of that? Uh, I'd say the only thing is uh, you can always line up in a pump formation and fake if, you, if you're really feeling uh, lucky and uh, try and throw or run from a pump formation to try and sort of surprise your opponent we're talking about surprising with the onside kick you can also use the same tactic with a punt yep uh, traditionally used in shorter fourth down situations and although we did see one this week on I think it was about fourth and nine maybe fourth and ten something like that it was uh, Green Bay and uh, New York managed to stop them literally within a wasp's whisker of getting the first down so uh there we go. That is our terminology for this week, and I hope you enjoyed your week off, Marcus. Loved it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Batted and picked. Off to the races. 40, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown. So, Marcus, what has been grinding your gears this week, my friend? You know what really grinds my gears? Well, I'll tell you what's been grinding my gears this week, and that is, we spoke about it a little bit earlier, inconsistent refereeing. I mean, we had the whole controversy last year where we had our replacement refs. This year, we've obviously got refs who don't know what they're doing. Now, I don't think it's actually the refs' fault. I think what's the fault is the league's constant change in health and safe guidelines. What we need to do is we need to go back. We've got to redefine them so that everyone knows what we're playing for and everyone knows what's legal and what is not. I think sometimes it's now too overcomplicated. I think we're trying to play in a league that doesn't allow the actual the purpose of the league. This is a contact sport. We have to have safe contact. Then we have to define what is safe contact. We can't have picking and choosing week in, week out. Was that hit legal? Was that hit not? I'm not sure. I think that might have been. All the opinions in it. Now, every person is going to define the rules slightly differently. And the reason why they have referees and umpires in teams that tend to stick together is so that they can have a consistent basis to call on so they all know they get together so they all have a single collective mind about how much contact is too much when you're holding as a defender or how much you know of a little teeny tiny flinch will you give before you really call that full start but i think really especially when it comes to the contact fouls 
and the ones that are designed around safety, we really need to go back, really rewrite the rule book and put them into stone now, sitting there going, this is bad, this is good, so therefore we can actually just get on enjoying football rather than sitting there going, why did they call that? They just should have called this or they called that when they shouldn't have called that. It's too much. Let's go back, redefine it so therefore we can all just sit back, put the TV on, watch football and know what's going on again and that is what's grinding my gears. Awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you mean about the officials and as far as sort of contact area goes, I've just had an idea myself now. I mean, don't know how feasible it would be but you know how a lot of teams have their coloured lines going sort of from the pants all the way up and kind of into the shirt well how about if you allowed each team to be their own colours but the lines went from say the knees all the way up to the shoulders so that the refs had some kind of visual reference as to where the hit's actually been given no that is actually probably a nice easy way you think colour coordination you can have it in your team's colours it's not going to strike off too much but again yeah it's just that visual representation Give the give the refs a little hand here I'm not trying to brag. Please don't think I was bragging on the refs here. I think their job is really hard on what they're trying to find is what's good and what's bad. But the fact is you'll watch one game, it's good. Because, as I said, they work in a team. And they, you know, they'll work and they'll say, that hit is legal up until then. And another team will sit there and go, that hit is legal up until then. And they'll give you a little bit more leeway. So, therefore... Just literally rewrite the rule book, sit there, sit down with the refs and say, this bad, this good. Not quite black and white, but so at least that way, we as fans, we know what's going on. We know what's a bad hit, rather than sitting there going, isn't that supposed to be flagged? Is that, or, or seeing a flag and go, that shouldn't be flagged. It's just going to make it a lot easier. If it's a lot easier, it's more enjoyable and it's going to be able to get so many more new fans into it. And I think that's another thing that could help drive the league. Safety, great. But knowing what is safe and what's not, even better. Is it also another way for you to try and get them to make it easier for when you do your refing qualifications so that everything's in black and white and you don't have to keep tarting around with judgment calls? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, and I, w I really do need to actually get on with that, but I think we'll, we'll finish, our, finish this year's assessment, then we'll think about getting my refereeing uh, certificate. Awesome. Well, as always, it's a pleasure listening to what really grinds your gears. You got an orange peanut? Yeah. An orange peanut? Mm -hmm. For me? That's right. Oh, wow. An orange peanut? Well, I accept you. Okay, so we've reached that time of the week again where, personally, I absolutely adore it, and that is our awards section. So, our... <laughs> and Mr. Ray Awards. Marcus, this week, we're going to go back to starting with Megatron because we've done three weeks of Mr. Ray Lewis. So I'd like you to give me your runner-up, your offensive impact player. Not quite. My, my not quite impact player for this week, the runner-up silver medalist, is going to go to Megatron himself. Ah, nice. Yeah, he had a monster, monster game this week. Though he couldn't help Detroit come up with the win... I think instrumentally he is one of the reasons why they constantly week in week out. I mean, it's another over 150 yard game. How many is this guy going to put on this season? You constantly constantly watching him blow stats, most receiving, most touchdowns by a Detroit player of all time, and all this. It's just incredible to watch him. It really is. And we going back to last year's um, some arguments we had over who's a better, you know, who's who's a better player. 
Rice over Megatron. I honestly think if he keeps this up, give it a year or two, and there won't actually be a competition because he will just blown away all competition. So have you done it again and given your, although it be the runner-up, you've given your offensive impact player runner-up to someone based on their performance this season rather than this week? No, this is because he, he, he had six receptions for 179 yards and two touchdowns. He was the only reason why, I think. With the running game not working, he was the only reason why Detroit were even close in that game. Okay, well, I'll let you have it then. Based on those stats, um, I will let you have him as your runner-up this week. But do remember, of the week, of the week. So, uh, my runner-up this week is... Uh, Matthew McLean, the uh, standing quarterback for the Oakland Raiders, now only had a 50% completion percentage, but in that, 197 yards, three touchdowns, and didn't give the ball away once to help the Raiders see off the Texans. It was most un-Raider football, wasn't it? You know, no, inter- no, no interceptions. What are you? You can't call yourself a Raider, a Raider quarterback until you throw at least one interception. Yeah, well, you would have thought so. (laughs) Yeah, it all comes into the just win philosophy. But, you know, the best way to just win is to not turn the ball over. So, there you go. There you have it. So, let's move on to your award winner. And my winner this week is going to go to Bobby Rainey, running back, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, nice choice. I have to butt in just quickly because... I have also given the award this week to Bobby Rainey, so but I will let you go through why he deserved it from both of us this week. Well, the reason I did it this week was 162 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, 30 carries. The guy was the workhorse for Tampa Bay to come up with a nice win against the division rivals Atlanta Falcons. At home, revitalise your fans. You need a guy like this to step up. You've got Doug Martin out injured. You've got James out injured. You bring in the third back from a little tiny school called Western Kentucky in the Sun Belt Division. No, this boy is going to be big. I think he's really, if he can keep this up consistently, he will make a name for himself and can get himself possibly not the starter job in Tampa because I think that once Martin's healthy, unfortunately he just he won't get enough seeing time. But I think someone in there, some team will see this and just his name is now just going to flash up and he's just going to be one to watch maybe not this year next year watch him watch him absolutely light up the scoreboards next year yeah very much indeed and I just have to uh, point out another thing as well on uh, on Bobby Rainey's stats and I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in you Marcus because you didn't bring up the fact that he had two receptions for four yards and a touchdown as well so on the day he had three touchdowns that as well yeah sorry I have just focused on the uh, the running stats but also for me I was amazed when you actually look at his... I, I went back into Western Kentucky, and you look at what he did at Western Kentucky. He literally just blew away that Sunbelt division in rushing yards. It was It's crazy how we haven't heard more of him until now. Just purely because of the school he's come from, and it doesn't get much yeah, li- uh, TV coverage. Literally, you've come from a small school in a small division... Literally, if he was from Alabama or any SEC or Pac-12, literally, we're talking first-round draft pick. Literally, could you say literally any more than you literally have in that literally sentence? I I literally couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Good work, my friend. Good work. And I know Mark is probably having a field day as he listens in on this at the moment. You know what really grinds my gears? But uh, so uh, we will move on to... The Mr. Ray Lewis Award. And who have you gone with as your runner-up? 
My runner-up this week has gone to Fonte's perfect linebacker, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, yeah, well, we've already talked briefly about uh, how great a game the, the Bengals' defence and, and special teams and, and even offence to a degree had. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just, for me, it's... Um, He's, he had a great game and you know he's really stepped up as a leader on that team so for me it's also the leadership behind what he does for that team 10 tackles fumble recovery he really is sort of making a name for himself as the linebacker the how do we say the Brian Erlach of the team you know that that pinnacle linebacker who just runs the defence yeah brilliant well I actually went for the other side of Ohio with my runner up I went with Joe Hayden cornerback for the Cleveland Browns uh, only two tackles but obviously had the two big interceptions one of which he took back for a touchdown I think but for the Cleveland offence struggling the impacts he had on that game would have made more of a difference if that kind of makes sense so um, kind of went with him this week especially after the the way he waltzed into the end zone after that second interception I'm, I'm hoping you <laughs> saw that <laughs> just with a little bit yeah, of a taunt there surprised there wasn't a flag actually because he was properly taunting the opposition the way he just waltzed into the end zone waving the ball at everyone again that goes that goes back to like I said grind my gears some, some refereeing teams will kind of let it slide others snap on that they won't won't have it uh, I think he's a great corner and I think he's underrated I think people don't value him as much as he should have uh, I, and I think as far as Cleveland go he is pretty much the dominant feature in the secondary I think they could do with maybe shoring it up but they've really got a hold around him I mean there's a, there's a couple of other guys that I like um, in the, the Cleveland Brown defence but I think as far as secondary go I think he's definitely the star of that secondary. Excellent. So, who would be your winner this week for our Mister Award? Now, I'm going I'm I'm to throw it out here. It's going to be a little bit different because I've got a lot of Mister Ray Lewis this week because I'm going to go for the entire Bills defense. Are you joking me? No, the entire. I couldn't actually pick. They were. It was such a great team performance. I want to give this all to the Bills defense this week. Okay. Well, I actually think this is a first. Because I think it might be the first time we've given the Megatron and the Mr. Ray Lewis awards to the same people. <laughs> really? Yeah, I've gone with the Bills defense as well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't pick one. Three interceptions, one fumble recovery, four sacks and that uh, defensive touchdown as well. thought, just in general, the way we just destroyed the New York Jets, dominated them from start to finish. And we were 20-0 up at half time. So what else can you say about this defense? Literally, I've said literally again. Literally, I've <laughs> you said literally could say literally about I this defense. I know. For me, <laughs> what it was was literally. Oh, I was going to say again. I'm going to stop. Think about it. Time out. Let's go. For me, it was what they did to really mess up Geno Smith. He's had a couple of good games, but this has brought him back down to earth with a massive crash. Welcome to the big leagues, big boy. This is how we play. <laughs> this is division games. Yeah, big boy. Welcome to the big league. <laughs> it, it was. He couldn't get in a rhythm. He couldn't find his form. He couldn't get comfortable in the pocket, outside the pocket, chased down, forced out. Nothing was working for him. The Jets' offense, they couldn't help him out. No one could actually think about a way of trying to penetrate the defense, to try and get the weakness and actually attack it nothing worked and I think that's really coming down to that Bills defence I know you were happy that you got a new defensive coordinator and I think really he has come in and managed to blow it out 
some great additions, of course. We've spoken about your additions to the defence this year a lot, so I won't go over them. But yeah, it's not just the it's not just the additions though, because obviously you've got the legend of Kiko Alonso, who has been a great addition as a rookie this year. But then, if you looked at a lot of the other talent, obviously Carl Williams, Mario Williams, start to move into the linebacker call. Like Manny Lawson was there last year. Arthur Moats has been there for a while, going into the secondary, and it's been more about getting the best out of the secondary because Aaron Williams playing well, Denaris Cersei playing well. We've got the young yet lad, Nickel Roby, as well, who started to play well. And, of course, we've got my boy back. Now he's back from his foot injury, Jarius Bird, the ballhawk himself. That's made a massive def- difference as well to our defence. I think, to be fair, it's the defensive core. Um, like you said, backed with those veterans. They've now got someone to lead them in a proper defensive coordinator that they, they, they can trust, they can understand the system. The system works. And I think really now... Let Manuel get his form. Let him let him get into grow into his games. I think the team will round itself really nicely. So if we're giving the award to the defense, should we give half of that to uh, Mike Patin, the defensive coordinator? Yeah, actually, you know what I want to do? I want to give it to I want to give it to him, and I want the rest of the team to lift him up and sort of carry him in one of those sort of those crowd surfing fashions. I think that's what really we need the team to do. The Buffalo defense needs to hold him aloft with him with the trophy in his hand the Ray Lewis Award trophy in his hand well he's come up with a trophy but he'll hold that in his hands and that's how I picture it <laughs> or how about this he just picks up Mr Ray Lewis so <laughs> he imagines <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the defence can lift him up and he can have Mr Ray Lewis in his arms so <laughs> go out and find him and he's all yours apparently I, I would I really want to see a picture of that. Make it happen, Buffalo. Make yeah, it happen. definitely. Buzz Mafia, please get on that. Let's. Uh, I'd love to see that. It'd be uh, awesome to have that. So, um, yeah, let's uh, move on. I've eaten burritos bigger than you. It's time to go eat, baby. Let's eat. You got some hungry dogs over here. Apple, orange, orange. Hot potato. I don't want no crackers. Hungry, man. I gotta eat it. Feed him. He hungry. Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We eating all day, bro. We'll grind these guys up and turn them into little bitty eagle meatballs. Okay, so now we've come to the part of our show, which I know Marcus loves, just so that he can say, and that's our Swing of the Week. So Marcus, who is your Swing of the Week this week? Well, my Swing of the Week is actually going to go to Kansas City. I'm really favouring them this week because they're taking on San Diego at home. Now, uh, we haven't spoken about this this week, but they took on their first loss when they took on divisional rivals, rivals Denver this week. And it was a nice sort of... It was it was one of those games which we knew we expected. We saw a lot of Peyton Manning. We saw a lot of the defence. But really what it came down to was the fact that the offence managed to progress forward. But they're taking on a San Diego team struggled to move the ball on Miami so now I'm really thinking that the Kansas City chief defense can get back to what they do and that's pressuring the quarterback forcing mistakes because Philip River loves to make mistakes and I, I feel that we can go back to Smith controlling his game as he needs to Charles running the ball and I really see a nice 65 35 swing to Kansas City over San Diego this week. Nice one. I heard another little nugget stat as well for you that Kansas City haven't had a sack now in 90 snaps. That is really impressive. That is really impressive. So for them to yeah, for them to have gone that long without actually getting a sack, bearing in mind how sack crazy they were at the start of the year. So 
let's hope they, uh, as you say, turn that round against San Diego. Um, my I've got uh, Saints over Vulcans. I've got a nice easy one. Uh, 70% swing in the favour of New Orleans Saints because really those dirty bird Falcons just need to pack up and look towards next year really. Um, and also with the way they've been playing I've gone with uh, a second swing this week to try and be cheeky. And, uh, a I've second swing? A second swing, I know. Would you believe so? Instead of do, just ha- I, do I get a second swing? Well, instead of having a swing, I've now got a sh- swing. Swing, so, uh, yeah, swing. Swing, swing. Yeah, you can have another one after I've had one and that oh. is... Uh, Carolina over Miami I've gone with a 60% swing in favour of Carolina for Cam Newton Brandon LaFell Ted Ginn Jr and Steve Smith to carry on doing the way they have and of course Luke Keekley to have a monster day on defence going into Miami it's difficult on the road but Carolina have shown that they can do it this year so who's your second swing your swing swing my swing swing is going to have to be Dallas over the New York Giants ooh controversial from the man there bearing in mind it is going to be in New York as well I believe it is going to be in New York, but I, I think Dallas have had a bye week this week, getting prepared for to see what New York can do. And I think this is when they come in, they stop the New York party, they sit there and go, you've had your fun, you've won four in the trot, now we put you back, you, you guys to bed, okay? That's it, you're done. And I honestly think it's going to be through the attacking, through the air, because I feel that really if we had, a, if Aaron Rodgers had been fit, Green Bay would have destroyed because the secondary is weak. That's where they're going to have to attack it. You've got the like of Austin. You've got the likes of, um, I'm trying to think of his name, the bad boy on Dallas receiving core. What, not uh, Des Bryant? Des Bryant, thank you. Um, they've also got the running game that's starting to become a little bit more established. And the defense is, itself, I, I know they haven't got Sean Lee. I think he's still going to have to sit this one out. Um, but... I still think they've got a good enough defense to just rattle the bones, and they're very aggressive. So I think Manning's going to have find himself definitely sacked at least three or four times during the game, disrupt his rhythm, and I, I can see a nice sort of. Uh, and you know what? I did 65-35 for the, the Chiefs. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it 65-35 for this as well. So Dallas over the Giants. Nice work. Well, you've already given me two, but we're just going to run through these because guess what? We're going for Marcus's picks again this week. So give me the first team name that comes into your head. New Orleans versus Atlanta. New Orleans. Of course. Pittsburgh, Cleveland. I like Pittsburgh. Tampa Bay, Detroit. Oh, Detroit. Minnesota, Green Bay. Minnesota for the upset. Ooh, yeah, that's that's controversial. So, San Diego, Kansas. Oh, Kansas. Chicago, St. Louis Rams. Unfortunately, Chicago. Oh, dear. Uh, Carolina versus Miami. Uh, Carolina. Uh, the Jets versus the Ravens. So, New York versus Baltimore. Uh, it's in Baltimore, so I take Baltimore. Jacksonville versus Houston. Jacksonville for win two. Wowzers, yeah. Yeah, I can see why you'd go with that, because Houston are just Brucey Dyer this year. So, Tennessee over Oakland. I like Oakland in the Coliseum. Indianapolis versus Arizona. Indianapolis. Uh, Dallas over New York, correct? Dallas over New York. Denver versus New England. Ah, this is going to be a doozy. Come on, Broncos! San Francisco versus Washington. How about this for an upset? We're going Redskins, baby! Oh, yeah, no, yeah, Mickey would be very happy about that, Mr. Uh, Big Dog himself. So, this week, though, Marcus, I've actually marked your answers on my uh, on my utility sheet that I have for the podcast. So, come next week, we can give the listeners your rundown of uh, how many you got right in your picks. So, uh, we'll start maybe um, keeping track of them, and then we'll 
keep track until the end of the season and then we'll see how well you do from this point onwards to the end of the season. How'd you like the sound of that? Yeah, I was going to say, or or how badly I do. Well, this is also true, but you know, you've got to have faith because I think you did reasonably well last week, didn't you? Uh, there was a couple of them. Unfortunately, I thought Houston would beat Oakland, and they nearly did. There's, there was a few of them. I, I distinctly remember this. There was at least four or five that that went down the pound pretty early. Like I said, I cho- chose Cleveland as a bit of a shocker. Um, so yeah, there was at least four or five that that sort of went trousers on me. Oh dear. Well. On that note, we're going to uh, finish off. But don't forget, you can get in touch by uh, tweeting us at BallHawksNest. Send us an email at BallHawksNest at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the page um, or any of the other social media icons at the top of the website. So, And that is www.BallHawksNest.Weebly.com. Uh, low down for the blog and click on Spitball for the podcast. Also, feel free to check out our other features. We have the Legends Lounge for our LFL features, which will soon be uh, coming up with a LFL Australia season preview, which I'm looking forward to. And also, Down we under. have a sorry. Down under. Yeah. So, did you just uh, try and point out that the LFL is going down under? You sick son of. A... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> Right, yeah, so we're going to move swiftly on for that. And don't forget, there is also our Football 101 page as well. So until next time, football fans, take care, stay safe, and thanks for stopping by. (laughs) 